Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, whether it's about teenagers playing Fortnite and some of the ramifications that'll have on our eyeballs and entertainment dollars where they go. It opens up more people to gaming as people get into casual gaming. They go, hey, I might actually like this and stick around for another game. Spend a little bit more money. Sometimes on the show, we'll talk about individual stocks. Whether it's the IPO market where Lyft got everyone kind of excited and underperformed. They were going for a money grab. Pinterest is going more so for let's value the deal correctly before we IPO. Which one would you rather have? The more conservative or the more aggressive one? You're a different investor than me, so you tell me. We're learning now that college graduates are starting to sell stakes in themselves to Wall Street. I love stories like this. I personally think that companies like Amazon, Apple, Google, Salesforce can't get their hands on enough developers. And one of the things they're going to have to all start to do is start uh, you know, some sort of college degree for life after high school for those who don't want to go to a big university and pay some of the big university legacy costs. And the indentured servant attitude is not offensive when you're talking about the high cost of colleges. And if someone like a Google or an Apple were to say, we're going to make you a software engineer, would you be willing to give them part of your money, your salary for 10 years? Interesting, right? That's why I'm getting that whole indentured servant. I'm not getting into slavery. I'm not going to touch that one with a 10-foot pole. Some people incorrectly start espousing like the virtues of things like wars and how they cut down on people and cut down on like people consuming food. And like that's pretty dark. I'm not one of those people. Some people can look at a tragedy and go, Hey, slavery was just low cost labor. What's the difference between that and what we're doing in China right now? Too political for me. Too political for me. But to pay for college now, you're seeing people go that, i got to go to a four-year traditional school, and they, you got to make money, and you pay back the student loan afterwards, and there's kind of a thing going on there. Your monthly payment. Your monthly payment is going to be more than your car payment. Should you get married? Should you not get married? you got this debt. You're in your 20s. You're coming out of college. Purdue University. Um, they've started a program where you could turn over part of your future earnings. It's an income-sharing agreement, an ISA, if you will, an income-sharing agreement. And financiers are transforming student debtors into stock investments is the idea. If I could invest in a Stanford engineer, would I do it? Versus, let's say, like a Berkeley poetry major. Wow, that's kind of dark, right? Now, if you're a first-generation college student and you're the only kid from your family ever to go to college... Are people going to value that more? Is Microsoft going to say, we really need that person because she's she's hungry for it. Her mother works as a waitress. Her father works as a control inspector at a produce department for Safeway or something. We need her. I like the idea. Americans owe $1.5 trillion in higher education debt. There is 
President Clinton at one point in time, you know, he was kind of getting that Peace Corps thing coming back where you give back to your country by serving other countries and poor people and developing nations, and you get a break on your college costs. But $1.5 trillion in higher education debt, and that's going to weigh down an economy. That's going to weigh down your dreams. Millennials are now less likely to buy homes than young people were in 2005. Even senior citizens find themselves still making payments on their student loans for their kids. There's a crisis there. So I think the mortgage market is old and stupid. I think the real estate realtors are old and stupid. I think we need to disrupt some areas, and one of the areas is college costs. The market for income sharing agreements can be measured in the billions. If you were to buy a mortgage like you were to buy a stock, you can get a 4.25%. Would you do it? Well, it's just a loan. Wall Street just sees it as a commodity, and they see numbers and math. They're not, you know, they're not potentially tied towards the, the the modern heart, so to speak, of what they're doing. Some smaller private schools, such as Lukawana College in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and Norwich University in Vermont, are offering ISAs. So, income in lieu of your service. It's a pretty fun idea. It's it's probably better than my idea of having companies like Google start their own university system, but. I don't know. So where do you where do you stand on this one? College graduates, on average, earn a million dollars more over their lifetime. So investing in someone who's going to college might sound like a pretty good idea. ISA experts say they've filled a calls from some of the world's largest investment managers that are considering investing in the contracts. So companies like Blackstone, which they 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 are hardcore money people, they're starting to look at at some of these financial firms and for profit colleges have been known to prey on college students' financials and nativity to sell them high-priced private student loans. So it's kind of a corrupt issue. If you started with a salary of 47000 through an ISA, you'd pay um, $15,673, assuming 3.0% annual salary increases. That'd be a good deal. But if you know, it's all going to be based on your salary. I could see some people trying to profit by the system. Now, this program isn't brand new, and we've tried these before. Like, you've ever heard about mortgage accelerator programs? They're basically shams. Oh, you could send in an extra mortgage payment. You won't pay hundreds and thousands of dollars in interest. Just call us, and we'll teach you how to do it for $4,000. We'll set you up on a, on a program. Well, if you want to send in an extra payment, just send in an extra payment. Say, principal only. Write it on the check. You don't have to pay a mortgage accelerator program. And these products have been around for years and years and years, and they recycle themselves on a regular basis. Yale once had an ISA where they pulled all borrowers and they owed the school a percentage of their incomes for 35 years or until everyone paid back what they owed. <coughs> the idea there, when you start pulling people, our higher earners are going to subsidize poor earners or weaker earners. Um, didn't, didn't turn out terribly well. But don't you kind of agree that this system is broken and we need disruption, whether it's in the college cost and college loans business or the mortgage industry or the realtor? The idea of realtors is offensive to me. You don't have to have a degree, and yet you can go around telling people it's the greatest investment they'll ever make. That's offensive. We need to change that. And again, we try to on occasion for sale by owner. doesn't always work out for people. It's a lot more work than they think. There's a value in that person. Is there a value in the old way of doing student loans versus the new way? I don't know. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. 
I think it's pretty easy, all things to considered, to create wealth. I signed up for an app recently, Acorns, and I put up, I'm going to write some notes about it on Facebook. I'll sign up for some other apps down the road, like Stash and Robinhood, and, and tell you my personal opinion. Acorns lets you round up your credit card purchases or your debit card purchases or your automatic payments, and you invest what that is. So if you're, you go to you know, Best Buy and you spend fourteen twenty-five on a cord, it'll round it up to $15 and it'll invest $0.75 cents for you. Creating wealth isn't that difficult. Now, that's not going to create a lot of wealth, but it's kind of like a dumb Disney film, right? Put one foot in front of the other, and soon you'll be walking on your way. I hate musicals. If there's something that's going to make me snap, it's going to be musicals. And I'll probably, like, go on my rampage singing Midnight. So there's all sorts of ways to create wealth. I just gave you a real cheap and easy one called Acorns, and you set it up with your bank account. If you have an online uh, password or something, you can do it that way. I'm good with that. I kind of like getting intimate with my apps on occasion. Although, I'll be honest with you, I think Apple's barking up the right tree with their Apple TV Plus service, where they're going to try to get all your Hulus and your Comcast Xfinity apps and your Netflix apps and your CBS apps all working together so that you don't have to open up five different apps to watch five different shows. Cute. So let's talk about wealth accumulation. Let's talk about wealth management. One of the areas is retirement is management. And I think one of the biggest things that I have sometimes is regret. I once wrote a story about these runners that, you know, they had to do a distance run and it was, it was fantastical. And it was all about, you know, uh, fighting for democracy and things like that. And, uh, Every thousand years, we'd run races, and you know the agents of hell would show up, and they would only win the race if you ever looked over your shoulder to see who's catching up to you. So as long as you paced yourself, you were fine. But as soon as you looked over your shoulder, you were in trouble. I, I think when you start looking over your shoulder, you start having regrets, and you start like negative things to come to your head. Have you saved enough money? Savers are grappling with high student debt levels, high housing costs, sluggish wage growth. A lot of people don't have access to retirement vehicles through their jobs. Only about 54 million Americans put money into a 401k plan. That's not enough. 150 million people are employed and only 54 million people out of 150 million are are socking away for their future. It's terrible. Um, One of the biggest regrets people have is that they wish they would have saved more. Wow. Another regret people have, about 80% of people who do have savings regret that they don't have enough to meet their future financial needs. A lot of people fear running out of money altogether. So these are retirement killers. These are things that will stop you from becoming retirement successful. These are things that will make you retirement poor. Number one on the list is having low financial literacy. For better or for worse, you got to listen to a show like this and get yourself caught up on occasion. There's a little continuing education feel for it, like I talked today about influencers and how they're super important to the business models of companies like YouTube and Facebook. We don't need Mr. T to come out and say, I'm Mr. T, and I have Mr. T cereal. We need Kylie Jenner to say, I had throwback cereal today. I had some Mr. T cereal. And everyone will go like, oh, let's go get Mr. T cereal. So we don't, need, we don't need the celebrity endorsement. We need the influencer. Lori Lachlan's daughter, she's dumber than a bag of rocks. And she kind of talks like this, 
and I got this new lip gloss at Fashion Week in New York. It's called Glossier. So you got to educate yourself on occasion on what's working out there in business and what's not. 20 years ago, I just thought it was baby boomers retiring and, and heading towards uh, Viagra. I just thought, you know, it was all going to be baby boomers and Winnebago investments and, and Viagra miracle drugs. Another reason people have regret is being struck by poor health that stops you from working. Oh, I want to take care of my health and not smoke a pack a day, and I know that I was going to have emphysema and not be able to walk. So increase your financial literacy and try to stay healthy. Exercise. Another big issue that hurts people financially, getting laid off and being unemployed. You have to have that emergency fund for that, but even more important, you got to get back to work. It's not a vacation. A lot of people don't see that they're going to earn less than they think they will in their lifetime. I throw this out there because it's fun. If you make $100,000 a year, that's a million dollars in 10 years. Now you go do your math. So a million dollars in 10 years tells me you have the potential to make $4 million. How much of it do you save? Can you live off that? Getting divorced financially ruins people. Earning less than expected, like I said, being laid off. Getting poor health and not being able to work and get that paycheck. Divorces are expensive. And I'll tell you what, you once loved that person. Do everything you can not to get a lawyer. Go through arbitration. It's cheaper. And you'll both come out hopefully happier in six months than you are today. Bad investments. Lending money to friends. Lending, investing in companies that you have no business investing in. Neighbors come over and say, I'm working on a great new Google replacement. It's called Schmoogle. Don't do it. Medical bills. Ooh, those things don't go away. Those collectors are nasty. These are things that financially ruin you. Overestimating Social Security. Well, I don't need to work. Social Security's going to take care of me. I put in millions of dollars. You didn't put in millions. You put in 7.5% probably of your salary. Don't you wish that they would have invested that instead of spend it? They being Congress. Big regret people have is is not making long-term plans. Overestimating Social Security. Getting hit with major medical bills. Getting divorced. Earning less than expected. Being laid off. Poor health. Not making long-term plans. How about the biggest one? The biggest regret that I have is procrastinating. When I was in the womb, I wish I would have signed up for a 401k, an IRA, a Roth IRA. I wish I would have done some marketing. World's greatest businessman coming. I wish I would have done some networking, but I procrastinated. Both sexes say they wish they'd spent less money on vacations. Men say they wish they spent less on cars. Women say they wish they spent less on, on clothes. Do you see the financial regrets that we have on a day-by-day basis? Now, pick yourselves up and go do something great. I feel like Sue Zorman all of a sudden, giving you just crap advice on top of depressing you. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. I put together a lot of really good downloadables with CFP, Chad, Burton. You can find them at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. They're free. There's a little bit of a process where you sign up and uh, you get the download. And it's, it's well, it looks good. That's kind of something that's important to me. Um, I try to put together digestible downloadables that you can get something out of and move on. During the commercial break, my producer said something along the lines of, hey, my bank has this online tool. If you put in how much you want to save a month, it'll tell you how much you'll have in 10 years. There's some good stuff like that out there. 
And if it sparks your attention, I'm all for it. Um, you know, the Trump tax cuts, a lot of people would go, woo, that's probably going to be good for people. Tax cuts. And uh, you kind of have to look at the ramifications sometimes on how they played out. Like, I think the 401k became a lot more important shortly after the uh, new tax cuts because it's still one of our best deductions. Let's bring in Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com. It's briefing.com. Patrick O'Hare. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, Rob. I'm doing okay. Thanks. Good to be back with you. It's always great to have you. Uh, reading your columns, I've been optimistic recently because the market has been trending higher and there's kind of an optimistic feel. We're within, we're within spitting distance of record highs. And then today comes along and it's kind of a different thing you bring up in your, your uh, morning report, your page one. This time it's about the European Union and the United States potentially getting into a trade war. Uh, does it ever end? Does it ever end? <laughs> Well, that that is the question, right? And, and it's just one of those nettlesome headlines. I mean, the actual dollar amount that they're talking about is not, um, you know, all that material, but it's it's the significance of the of the proposal really that uh, you know creates some angst about you know again um, tariffs uh, being an impediment to to you know better economic growth, and so you might end up rolling off of a a deal with China and right into uh the snake pit with uh with a trade uh, disagreement with the e u so you just don't know but it's it's adding you know yet another element of uncertainty as it relates to the global economic outlook mm-hmm. with that said, we are within spitting distance of record highs. That's got to feel pretty good. And I think some of the pessimism on CNBC and Bloomberg television has kind of abated recently and is being replaced with, how long can this bull market go on? Uh, do you like where the commentary is shifting? Do you, do, do you, are you, are you with it? Are you vibing with it? Or are you a little bit more pessimistic? <laughs> Well, you know, I think it certainly uh, it makes sense, you know, given what we know about the uh, the policy support mechanisms in place here to kind of keep this economic expansion within the U.S. anyway alive, and 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 we have seen that you know the stock markets, global stock markets anyway, are always or seem to always be very um, appreciative of very easy monetary policy that translates into very low interest rates, and you're starting to hear more of the what's called the Tina argument, that is that there there is is no alternative to uh, to stocks right now because of such low yielding securities around the around the world in these uh, sovereign bond markets, and so um, so it does make sense. And I think it's predicated in part on this notion that while in the here and now we're worried about the global economic outlook, in the here and now we're also hopeful that the easy monetary policy is this bridge of support that gets you to the back half of the year when things should hopefully be better in terms of a pickup in economic activity and a commensurate pickup in earnings growth. And so uh, that's why there's a lot of emphasis placed recently on the better-than-expected data coming out of China. Uh, It was viewed as somewhat of a green shoot that we could be at a point where the global economy is at or near a cyclical bottom and, and ready to pick up again. So, um, so that's the, the hope that's been wrapped up in these uh, equity market rallies. Obviously, the reality has to meet that hope, and we'll know more with future data as it comes in. Sounds interesting. Um, the IMF is cutting global growth. I've recently been playing with my 401k, uh, just tinkering end of the year, start of the new year kind of thing. And part of me is like, hmm, do I want more international or not? Um, with the IMF cutting global growth, do you have an opinion on maybe one of your children waddle up to you during the holidays and say, hey, 
Uh, what do you think about international growth? Is, is it still a thing, or, or is it too much risk? Um, where do you come down on this one? Right. Oh, I suppose that the IMF is right on cue relative to our interview here today, uh, Rob, in terms of them cutting their global economic growth outlook. Um, you know, I think where we come down on it really is just essentially that, you know, a, a long-term investment portfolio should have some diversification and, you know, maybe not be fully concentrated in one market. There are certainly growth opportunities out there in these other uh, economies, Asia and Europe even, um, but you might have to be more patient for that growth to, to come through. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think there is some, some resonance to the idea that, you know, the U.S. Is, is really, you know, the place to be right now uh, in terms of, you know, you've got supportive monetary policy, supportive fiscal policy, um, and, you know, you have a valuation that is um, fair but not necessarily stretched given where interest rates are right now, and, um, and it is still the deepest and most liquid market out there. So, um, yeah, you know, take a look, you know, see uh, see where opportunities might exist in some of these global markets. But, um, you know, from our vantage point, you know, we think that the U.S. is, for most investors anyway, is probably, you know, your safest and um, bet because it's, it's more understandable in terms of what's happening here, given the entire picture when you throw in politics and fiscal policy and monetary policy and interest rates and, and social and cultural influences as well. <laughs> Speaking with Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com, I've had a long-term relationship with Briefing, probably my longest in financial media. I really dig the work that you guys put out. We just talked about briefly about international markets and the headline risk, and I got to believe international markets are going to continue to you know push forward over time. How about the idea of like more you know uh, microscopic, so to speak, where you're seeing companies like Boeing take hits, and maybe American Airlines and Southwest take hits because of headline news that is negative. Do you ever advise people or do you ever get kind of like, I'm not going to say greedy, but do you ever go, man, Facebook had a tough year last year and look how well they've done this year. Do you ever look at like a Boeing and go, that headline risk is creating an opportunity or do you look at a headline risk as let's, let's wait this one out till we feel good about getting in the water, AKA jobs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I think you have to look, you know, something, uh, particularly the case of Boeing, you know, this headline risk is, is ultimately creating some opportunity here. I mean, there's basically, you know, two major aircraft manufacturers in the world. So, um, you know, Boeing will get this issue figured out. And um, you heard someone, you know, say cogently yesterday that, I mean, Boeing knows how to make airplanes, okay, notwithstanding, obviously, that there's this uh, important issue that needs to be resolved here uh with the 737 MAX, but we have some very talented and very bright individuals that are working on it. It will get resolved. Um, but at the same time, with so much headline risk and, and given the importance of this fix, um, sometimes you do have to kind of just take to the sidelines and let the dust settle around all of this um, so that you can, uh, you know, figure out a better entry point. But, you know, with something like this, you have to remember that Boeing this started with Boeing at a you know at a higher valuation you know it was trading at a premium to the market multiple so you need to see some adjustment there um, before you kind of dip your your toes in the water and, and and we've seen some of that adjustment and so probably one of those stories right now where maybe it's a seed position you know you don't necessarily go full in right now because we still don't know the scope of the earnings impact from uh, from from what's unfolding here and but that will that will avail itself here over the next uh, few quarters and then probably have a better sense to be able to uh, increase the allocation to a stock in a company that's in such a great uh, position like Boeing is from a long-term vantage point. 
So when the Federal Reserve kind of fell in line and said, we're not going to raise interest rates for a while, they didn't necessarily say that, but it's been heavily implied. Mm-hmm. Um, we've kind of ignored that story, and we're kind of like moving on to find other issues. Um, what are some of the issues that you're moving on and looking at? Because I still pay attention to that 10-year treasury, and I still want to see it low, but I'm starting to take my eye off the ball and look elsewhere of like, now where does this go? Uh, because we got that check mark. It's kind of in place. What are you looking right. for next in the in the world, per se? Well, I think, you know, you got to follow the data, really. Um, okay. I think there's an argument to be made that some of the thing, what's going on in the Treasury market now is such low-yielding securities is that you have interest rate differential trades that are coming into play here. I mean, you have the German boon that was, uh, you know, had a negative yield a few weeks ago. So there's there's some of that involved in, in these low interest rates that we're seeing in the U.S. But uh, but the, you know, March employment report we got out was a nice reminder that I think that the U.S. economic expansion still has room to run. And, uh, and you know, and so it's reports and data like that you have to keep a close watch on to that, that are sending either confirmatory or, or signals that suggest maybe the treasury market is uh, uh, doesn't necessarily have the outlook right based on the uh, position of the yield curve right now. Anything else that you're working on at this point in time that you think we should be made aware of? You do a lot of work for briefing.com. Briefing's got great resources on IPOs, on story stocks, on domestic, international areas. What are you working on at this point in time that we should be paying attention to that we may see in a column sooner than later? Right. Well, one of our best resources is our, our earnings calendar, and obviously earnings are going to be the focal point here over the next several weeks, so, so I'll be concentrating on that. And what I'm really going to be looking for is, you know, and watching is what type of guidance we're hearing coming out of this first quarter earnings reporting period and how the stocks react to that. So we'll probably see some commentary oriented around, the, around that idea. <laughs> Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. We are moving into earnings season. There's a couple financials later this week. Financials being big banks, they kind of give us a tell into are they lending money or not? Are they speculative or not? Where are they lending? What sectors, uh, what segments of America, the West, the Northeast? Is it the South? Uh, where's the growth at? And there's a lot of information, the earnings report, and no one does it better than briefing.com. It's supplying that information to you, the consumer. You can find out more about it at briefing.com. Like I said, it's an unbiased source of domestic and international information on financial news. Find out more at briefing.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing more. Disney, the house that the mouse created, is about to reveal more of its upcoming streaming plans. With its $81 billion acquisition of 21st Century Fox's entertainment properties finally closed. A couple, of my, a couple of my friends and family members in L.A. have lost jobs who were tied towards 21st Century Fox. Disney comes in and go, you, what did you do for 21st Century Fox? Oh, we don't need you. Here, take this, this lovely plush Mickey Mouse doll. You're fired. And out you go. Disney has no heart, man. They, they fire people and they give you a plush doll on the way out. So now the next big step of having reviewed their assets and fired people, it's now let's take a look at Disney Plus. A direct-to-consumer streaming service that's going to be brought out by the end of the year. We're starting to get towards the end of the year. In late 2017, Disney CEO Robert Iger reached an agreement with Robert Murdoch of Fox to sell the majority of 21st Century's entertainment assets. Comcast owner NBC Universal swooped in with a higher unsolicited offer, saying, oh, no, you don't. We want to marry Fox. Comcast countered by raising their price. From $71 billion to $81 billion. That's a pretty big up. But they also got 30% of Fox's stake in Hulu, which millennials are gravitating towards. 
they're liking Hulu more than Netflix right now. Then you add in that Disney's got ABC, ESPN, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Disney's other properties, and essentially the deal's closed. And now let's see what the content they can put together to compete with Netflix and Amazon. So Disney Plus is scheduled to launch by the end of 2019 and will be a family-focused service with content from Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, National Geographic, plus other content. Hulu's already counted about 25 million subscribers, so... Disney's going to use its majority ownership of Hulu to make it it the home for more grown-up content and live TV. So Disney's been coy so far. Oh, you don't have to be coy. Oh, they need to be coy. We need to know, like, is it going to be a TV series on Monsters? Is it going to be a TV series on High School Musical? Is it going to be a TV series on Star Wars? Can we get excited by it? Who's going to be the actors? Who's going to be the voice talent? It's time for them to share, in my opinion. The S&P 500 flirting with 2,900. Yesterday, the markets were up, running its winning streak to eight straight sessions. You don't go up forever. But a lot of people are also starting to believe in the long-termness of this bull market. And I know you're going, are you kidding me? A lot of people are starting to use the phrase, no expiration date. The bull market has been rallying for 10 years. Can it rally for another 10? The S&P 500 index is still 1.3% from its all-time high of about 29.30, despite big gains in the last couple of weeks and the last couple of months. The market peaked in September before the bear market kind of took in. Now we've got an inverted yield curve that we're like, okay, this tends to lead to recessions. And bull markets do not die of old age. The average bull markets lasted five years and four months. We're in 10-year territory. You could say that 1987 to 2000 was 12 plus years. The shortest was about two, a little bit more than two. So people are starting to go, okay, well, if the longest bull market's 12 years and we're at 10, and the shortest is two years, we're well past the short end. We're approaching the long end. So people are starting to talk. If you were able to buy on a regular basis when the market bottomed in 2009, you're up 330% roughly. Now we're at 2.2% GDP growth, and that's... That's not overheating. Capital spending still hasn't reached levels seen during previous recoveries. Inflation's still very muted. As long as that remains the case, there's going to be no need for the Federal Reserve to tighten interest rates, which means the market could continue to run higher. We got low unemployment. That's a signal the labor market's running out of slack. You got a large generation of millennials, people born from 1981 to 1996. They're set to boost their spending as they start hitting their prime earning years, which is 26 to 50. So we could have more room to run. We could have more gas in the tank. I got money in the bank. I got gas in the tank. Ooh, baby, ooh, baby. I know you're saying, that was a little Elvis there, wasn't it? <laughs> no. So we fiddle with central banks and how they lower interest rates and such. Um, that's what we got. Game of Thrones. It's expected to have one billion viewers this weekend. Wait, 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 wait. No, no. One billion for its final season premiere. Yeah, that's this weekend. Game of Thrones has handily garnered millions of viewers around the world. Its final season could be groundbreaking. Where does that leave Time Warner and AT&T when the season is over in eight short episodes? A billion eyeballs is tough to replace. Well, you got Westworld coming out again, season three. The robots take control of the world. So that's coming. A billion plus people. That's pretty impressive for Game of Thrones. I don't think that series is ever going to finish, by the way. I think the, the author is going to long be dead. He's just taking too, too dang long. So that's kind of disappointing. It would have been like Lord of the Rings finishing up after one book. You're like, hey, did the, did the guy return the ring? What happened? Wasn't there a sorcerer 
gray guy or something like that. Hey, I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone and give me a call. Lots of channels. Nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel. Straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525.